What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. X-Ray Edition Alphabet Soup of Radiation Alphabet Soup. Did you enjoy Alphabet? I, I like Alphabet Soup. I haven't had it in a very long time. I don't know. Is it still around? I mean, it must be, but I haven't seen it, it must in a be long still time. Around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you, you've reached uh, um, the latest cooking show, Alphabet Soup, where... Each week we cook a different letter of the alphabet. Already the show is completely unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Stanley, how are you? Matthew Stanley from New York University, historian of science. How have you been? You you were attending to uh, uh, you've been attending to numerous uh, numerous issues of various sorts. Yes, um, mm-hmm. um, history has been fixed. So. Um, <laughs> As long as uh, the right side won the Battle of the Marne, we're in good shape. Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. Also with us, um, who, uh, Gabby Panicia, virologist from Rockefeller University. You have been battling um, issues in the uh, virology department. Yeah, but that's just getting my PhD. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing of consequence to the rest of the world. That's just part of how being a grad student works. Indeed, indeed. And you were saying uh, earlier that uh, you have a seven-hour experiment coming up? The first time I did it, it was seven hours. I think it's going to be slightly less. The first half of it is less complicated than previously, but the second half is more complicated. Ooh. So we'll see, but it's, uh, it's a big experiment. It's a... Uh, it's definitely going to be like a big figure in the paper when we're done. So oh. getting it to finally work would be great. That's interesting. So you can, you can call an experiment a big figure in the uh, paper. So oh, in other well, words, like, yeah. the papers have like figures. Right. Like, like charts. Of, yeah, yeah. Like sets of graphs. And that's graphs. like figure, you know, five that shows this. And this is a, a key piece of, you know, that figure five or something. Uh, actually, I do think it is our figure five. Yeah, yeah. But, so, so when we see those, when if we read a scientific paper and you see one of these charts, one of these graphs, and it says figure whatever, uh, we could say, "Wow, there was a whole life, uh, a story behind." Uh, yeah, that. to get to that figure, there was usually like ten or twelve other experiments that were like optimizing everything that went into <gasps> it. Uh, a previous attempts that like did, maybe didn't include all of the right controls, and then you realized at two in the morning, oh, crap, I should have done it with this. So then you did it again. And all of those things sort of go into what eventually becomes that final, nice, clean, shiny figure. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, for me, the exciting part of, of making a graph is just choosing the font, you know, and the colors. Papyrus can, all the I, way. Yeah, papyrus, <laughs> papyrus font, absolutely. Or Comic oh, Sans. More yeah. of a wingdings guy for wingdings. My, <laughs> yes. my academic papers. Just yes. really, really make the field more inscrutable. Yeah, yeah. And zap dingbats. <laughs> and we have 
have <laughs> used up our supply of fonts today. Um, <laughs> we have an exciting if for you. Um, uh, Matt, would you like to help people understand what does that mean? What is the if? What have they uh, stumbled into? And uh, what safety protocols should they uh, uh, well, I should say the safety protocols are pretty important um, this week, yeah. um, but it's always a little dangerous to change reality um, because you might suddenly find yourself in a world where chairs are made of tofu or, um, <laughs> and you got to be careful um, uh, because there are unexpected consequences to that and some, and sort of the unexpected consequences of what we're here for too. Um, so we're going to change reality a little bit and then figure out um, what that does to us and we'll learn something interesting um, along the way. Uh, so this week um, you're going to need some radiation shielding. So if everybody can grab the nearest chunk of lead um, and place it uh, over whatever body part you're most concerned about, um, we can get started. Indeed, indeed. Prepare. Um, it's just setting a little context for our uh, if this week. Um, often we do ifs that are ripped from the headlines. Um, this one, I would say, is more... Um, hmm. I don't know what to call it. Not so much ripped as in uh, maybe uh, gently lifted. Gently, yeah, like like you know those little safety scissors that kindergartners use. Uh, we picked up one of those and sort of cut out a tiny piece of it and made that our if. Um, uh, the news part of it is that uh, yesterday, uh, much to my surprise, I, I didn't know this was coming. I, I don't know if a lot of people knew about this. This was done in secret and suddenly revealed to the world. But uh, yesterday, the headline in the New York Times, Japan joins the new moon race and launches an X-ray telescope too. A crazy double feature from the Japanese. Um, and congratulations to them. Everything going well so far, as far as we know, as of the time of this recording. Um, they launched a rocket, and on board the rocket is a robotic moon lander uh, which uh, the reporters uh, Katrina Miller and Kenneth Chang tell us uh, the robotic moon lander is about the size of a small food truck. Um, but they are also launching a... So there's there's a small food truck, which mm -hmm. is an odd... Oh, I guess they mean like that you go up and you... Like a taco truck. Uh, I think so. It's just, I don't know. People have been... There, there's something weird going on in the internet lately where people want to measure all astronomical objects in strange units. So yesterday I saw <laughs> there would be an announcement an asteroid would do a close pass to Earth the size of 19 bulldogs. And I'm like, what the? <laughs> I think I saw that. that. I mean, first off, bulldogs vary a lot in size, but anyway. Right. And I also don't think I have a good idea of what 19 bulldogs just kind of piled on top of each other looks like. look like. Right. Yeah, yeah and, and whenever I hear the dimensions of, of asteroids, very rarely do they tell you that's if that's the circumference or the diameter. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Is it 19 bulldogs lined up end to end? Are they right. all just mashed together like a big ball of Play-Doh? I don't know. These are important things yeah. to know, but no one Yeah. But like, what's also, like, in my head's just going to conversion factors. Like, what's 19 <laughs> bulldogs and number of refrigerators? Because that I would <laughs> do. But my brain, it's like, you know, kilometers, miles. Once you're trained in one system, you can't really cross over. I never really got the bulldog metric system, but I was trained for refrigerators, so. Yeah. I use I, I, I use my couch as a as a measurement because it's hmm. it's it happens to be and I know this from him from lying down on it which I do a lot um, <laughs> it's uh, five feet long because I'm five four 
and uh, it's five feet. It's like it's a short couch, you know. But anyway, I know how big it is, and so if I hear something is you know sixty feet uh, in diameter or whatever, I can say, oh, that's about twelve of my sofas. Uh, so you know, the couch potato <laughs> units very important. Mm -hmm. um, so apparently, anyway, the robotic Moonlander is about the size of a small food truck, which I think is hilarious because there have been so many uh, so many missions to the moon lately. I think they need a food truck there. Right, because you know, mm, lunchtime sure. <laughs> there's going to be long lines uh, for lunch on the moon. So that's happening. And then what, here's what I find funny: they mentioned this robotic lander on for the moon, which is a pretty amazing thing. And then that's pretty much the last they mention, because the rest of the entire article is about the uh, X-ray um, uh, X-ray telescope. Uh, so the two missions are called X-RISM and SLIM. Slim is the moon lander, and X-RISM is the, uh, uh, the telescope. Um, the X-ray imaging and spectroscopy mission, X-RISM for short, and pronounced like CRISM, CRISM, uh, is the uh, launch's primary passenger from an orbit 350 miles above the Earth. CRISM will study exotic environments that emit X-ray radiation, including the accretion of material swirling around black holes, the blistering plasma permeating galaxy clusters, and the remnants of, ma of exploding massive stars. Data from the telescope will shed light on the motion and chemistry of these cosmic locales with a technique called spectroscopy, which relies on changes in the brightness of sources at different wavelengths to extract information about their composition. The technique gives scientists a view into some of the universe's highest energy phenomenon and will add to astronomers' comprehensive multi-wavelength picture of the universe. Um, and I'll just finish up here by saying uh, the, the, the reporters mentioned it, CRISM's spectroscopy will, quote, reveal energy flows among the celestial objects in different scales, end quote. With unprecedented revolution, Makoto Tashiro, the telescope's principal investigator and an astrophysicist at JAXA, uh, the Japanese Space Agency, wrote in an email. And so this week, uh, well, actually, Gabby, if you could just explain what, what, what is, when we see a news article and we translate that into an if, what's, what's happening there? How do we explain that to the, to the, to the new listener? Uh, we usually spend some time uh, before the show kind of babbling about about what we think might be interesting to talk about, whether or not it's sort of directly related to what happened uh, or like the consequences of a technology that's described in an article, but, you know, dialed up to 11. Or we kind of fixate on one thing and we kind of have a, hey, wouldn't that be cool thought about it and then run with that. <laughs> yes. Hey, wouldn't that be, that actually would be a great name for the show too. Hey, wouldn't that be cool? If. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and so we ask, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we all had X-ray vision. Get your specs. Get your goggles peel off that card from inside the magazine and send it in to, I don't even know, can you mail something to Amazon? That'd be kind of hilarious. Get your x-ray goggles. Somebody needs to do that. Somebody needs to send like a dozen cereal box tops into Amazon. <laughs> See what happens. I'm ordering my x-ray specs. So Matt, 
uh, here's the kind of thing, kind of fun thing about this. Uh, if um, it goes to both of your specialties, right? We could go with both of ours because it has biological and physical uh, physics, physics and and chemistry stuff going on. So X-rays. My first question is simply: if I could see with X-rays, what would look different? All I, I'm guessing, I would, everybody would look like a skeleton. Um, yeah, so let's hear. So when we say we see something, there's at least two things involved, right? There's a source of the light, and then there is a detector of the light. So the detector is usually your eyes, right? And then your eyes are strapped to your brain, and your brain interprets what it is that it's seeing. Um, and then, uh, so when you turn the light on in your room, um, you know, uh, wave, waves of a certain wavelength and size are emitted. Um, and then they hit your eye and your eye says, okay, there's, um, uh, light coming in and some of it is this wavelength and we'll call that red and some of this wavelength and we call that blue. So your eye says, I see a red light and I see a blue light. Um, and then when you look at the wall, um, that's not a source of light, but those same red and blue waves are bouncing off the wall and then hitting your eye. Um, mm. And your wall um, absorbs some of that, some of those colors. So you're, with the light that you're, it gets to your eye might be a different um, set of wavelengths than what the light is uh, initially emitting. Um, oh. So then we say, we know the wall is there because the light is bouncing off of it. Um, and the wall is green, it looks greenish to us because it's absorbing some of that light. Um, so a lot of the things we see um, have light reflected off them and they look a little bit different because it absorbs some of that light. Right. Um, and then some things are transparent. So if you look out your window, um, the light is being emitted by the sun and then bouncing off the taco truck and then <laughs> coming through the glass towards you. And the glass um, lets most of the light through, but not all. Um, so it absorbs some of that. And that's why you can tell the glass is there. Um, and sometimes that glass will be colored. Um, so we think of like a stained glass window um, will mm -hmm. absorb some of that light. So again, your eye says, I'm getting the uh, blue and the red light that comes through, but not the green. Um, so that changes the, the balance. So things look different there. Um, so that's kind of how um, a visual light works. The problem is, or problem, the thing that's interesting here is that x-rays um, can zip through things that visible light cannot okay? mm. um, and get stopped by different sorts of things too. So we're used to the medical application um, in which x-rays can zip through your flesh um, yes. and your organs in differing amounts, but typically not your bones, right? So your bones are denser and they have lots of metal in them, um, specifically calcium. Um, okay. And those substances absorb x-rays nicely. So if you put an x-ray source, again, we need an x-ray source and we need an x-ray detector. And in hospitals, uh, that would usually be um, a piece of film 
Okay, so the film detects mm. the x-rays. So there's the special x-ray generator, which is a bit of electronics, and that gives off x-rays, and then they stick you in between the x-ray source and the film. Um, so some of the x-rays get absorbed by your bones, and some of the x-rays just zip through your flesh. So what you essentially see is a shadow of your, of your bones on the film, and that's what we think of as an x-ray, right? So now we're imagining that our eyes can do that work. So first off, we need an x-ray source um, that your eyes will then be able to detect. So the regular light in your bedroom does not give off any x-rays. So if you're just seeing x-rays, you can't tell if the light in your room is on or not. Mm. Right. Um, right. So first off, you're going to have a hard time navigating. Uh, so we've got to find a, a source of x-rays out there. Um, so nearest source of x-rays that you're likely to encounter is the sun. Um, the sun doesn't give off a lot of x-rays, um, but it's enough to be noticeable. Um, so you will see a big bright dot in the sky. Um, and if you're indoors, you might not know it because those x-rays are going to go right through your roof without any trouble. Um, so first things first, you're going to be banging into a lot of walls um, <laughs> because you're probably not going to be able to see them very well. Um, you will notice um, metals particularly. So actually, as you look at your wall, uh, what you'll notice is probably the piping and the electrical yeah. circuits um so Ooh, and actually so that probably will be the the x-ray vision that you kind of imagine right so you won't see the wall yeah. but you'll see the metal stuff inside it that's really cool that could be handy too you know mm -hmm. anytime you have to hang up poster and you have to find the uh, well you wouldn't be able to see the uh, what do you call it the um yeah, you wouldn't see the stud, the stud. Um, but you would see the electrical circuits, so you would know not to nail into those, which is handy. Right, right, right. That could be mm -hmm. exactly that would be useful. I think exactly. So plumbers and electricians have it a little easier mm -hmm. if they have X-ray. That's right. Interior decorators <laughs> have a harder time of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what were you going to say, Gabby? No, just basically exactly what you said. It's good for hanging stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's good for hanging stuff. Um, and so. But before we get into the safety issues, which again, which is why you should be wearing your safety, you know, follow the safety protocols. Um, uh, but uh, would we have instead of regular incandescent bulbs that we use now, or whatever, you know, what LEDs things we're using now that emit what we call the visible spectrum? Mm -hmm. The visible spectrum for us pre-if is not the same as the visible spectrum for the X-ray only people. Um, so they would need perhaps uranium light bulbs or something? Or um, no, yeah, right. so we would want something that gives off x-rays. Um, and that's not so easy uh, to set up, which is why we have to have special you know, x-ray technicians in x-ray rooms and hospitals. Um, so every... Um, yeah, so every room that you want to be able to navigate easily is now going to have to have an x-ray generator um, uh, at the top of that, that you would then switch on and it'll, yeah. it'll hum menacingly and, <laughs> um, suck up a lot of power. I can go for that. And you can't really turn it on or off so much as you have to simply 
open the giant lead box that it's in. Well, I say you can you can make X-ray sources that stay on for long periods of time. Um, We and actually that's what they they used to be. Um, There used to be. I don't know. Back in the early days of x-rays, um, there was a lot of novelty with the fact that you could see your own bones um, through your body. Uh-huh. Um, and believe it or not, one of the first applications for this was not medical, but shoe sizing. Um, so there was a, a device called a fluoroscope, which is essentially a real-time x-ray machine. So instead of getting a flash of x-rays that would expose a picture and then you look at the picture they had a um a fluorescent screen like an old school um tv screen um that would and those glowed when x-rays hit them so they would just turn it on continuously and then you would stand in front of it and they would kind of watch you move around and such um and they somebody realized that a good application for this was shoe salesman so you would go in and stick your foot in front of the fluoroscope and then you could see like where the bones in your foot were compared to (laughs) the um the 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 sole of the shoe so this was actually a major application of of x-rays in the early day um the problem of course is that x-rays um do incredible damage to your flesh as they pass through them. Wow. Um, so people would have radiation burns on their feet from this. Um, and it took people a little while to realize what was going on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so um, it, we used to actually have these sort of, these x-ray machines everywhere and you would be suffused with them. Um, I'll bet, I'll bet if you go to YouTube and type fluoroscope shoe in there will be videos of this i'll see if i can find it so gabby do they use x-rays in your line of work no not really (laughs) i mean there's nothing that we would gain from it right so Uh, of all the dangers you have to deal with x-rays is not one of them uh no but at the same time some people do use small doses of radiation for kind of the similar reason that people use x-rays that Mm, you can use mm. it to expose film we don't tend oh. to use it to, you know, see bone. What we do is if you radio label something, you essentially label it with a radio as radioactive isotope, you can track it later. So if you're trying to separate out like proteins in a cell and show that like this protein binds to another protein or that this protein is there um, after X amount of time, well, you radioactively tag it and then run it on a gel and it'll tell you tells you about size wise where to expect it and then if it, that's radioactive and you know exposes the film then that tells you that it was there so that's the kind of thing people use it for people use it for rna as well also instead of proteins but we don't tend to really use x-rays at least not in my line of work there is however a kind of notable line of work that has used x-rays which is x-ray diffraction for mm. crystallography okay. yeah. Ooh. so One way that we solve the structures of proteins, essentially what a protein looks like in its full 3D shape, is essentially by crystallizing it and then bouncing a bunch of x-rays off of it. And then by looking at the way that the x-rays are shunted away, there's like a distinct pattern from the crystal. And you can use that pattern to essentially map back the arrangement of atoms in the protein. And so it actually requires a tremendous amount of complicated math, which is even more insane considering like that people 
used to actually do that complicated <laughs> math by hand mm-hmm. to reassemble crystal structures. Now, delightfully, it's done by a computer. Um, but X-ray diffraction is what got us the first photo of the shape of DNA yeah. uh, from Rosalind Franklin oh. at photo 51. Wow. And also, it's kind of notable that that much X-ray exposure probably contributed to what killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's a really strong form of, I don't want to say radiation to make you think like the kind of like nuclear radiation, but mm. it's, it's an extremely strong waveform that damages tissues over time. So yeah. not as much when you're getting just a single bone looked at, but if you're working at it, probably not greatly shielded back in the day for hours and hours and hours on end, days yeah. and days in a row, yeah, you put yourself a little at risk. Hence, Matt saying people getting radiation burns on their feet. Right. Uh, yeah, so I guess if, if we also, I should say, um, if you want to see this, you go to YouTube and search for X-ray shoe fit. Um, you'll see, <laughs> uh, but the machines they used to use. Um, and this was kind of a novelty in the early days of X-rays generally. So you'd you'd have people like play the violin in fl- front of a fluoroscope so you could see the um the bones right. moving around and things like that um so that would all be old hat i guess if we could see x-rays early on and i've always been curious about this it's funny because in retrospect i think we all probably because of when we had x-rays taken at the dentist for instance um they put a lead apron on you mm-hmm. or a cape and um uh I don't know, we just seem naturally to understand that they're dangerous. But uh, it's fascinating to me that even in the early days, the most brilliant people in the world, their first assumption was that it was totally... Totally fine. Benign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There have been so many things like that. I just finished uh, The Radium Girls, which is a book uh, on a right, group right, of yeah. dial painters. Mm-hmm. And essentially they had to paint a little bit of radium onto the dials of watches because it would you know, light up and fluoresce and so people could see. And... At the time, radium was touted as like a health thing. So the fact that they they pointed the the nice, delicate little brushes between their lips, everybody was like, oh, you're going to be the healthiest ladies on earth because yeah. you exposed all of this radium, which is so great for you. And then, no, their bodies fell apart in terrible, terrible ways uh, because they were ingesting a radioactive substance. Yeah, we we don't tend to get a good grip on what's dangerous we sort of just start using it and then uh, bad things happen. Yeah. Radium girls is, is a great story. There's both the, the book and a play, I think based there on is it. a play. Right? Yeah. Cause the, the woman that wrote the book, at least that I read was mm-hmm. she had directed the play and then was like, okay, I need to right. write a book on yeah. this. Um, and there's a, a great book on this, this general idea that um, uh, radium was, uh, was good for you. Uh, written by a friend of mine named Luis Campos, and it's called Radium, the Secret of Life. Um, and just mm-hmm. reading about the, the sort of unwavering optimism that everybody had that radiation would be good for you early on is really quite a remarkable thing. Um, so what, what finally turned the tide? Because I'm guessing that by the time there's a nuclear bomb, mm-hmm. We understand that radiation is bad. Yeah, that's right. So by the the twenties, nineteen twenties, it's clear that um, it's dangerous <laughs> yeah. because actually because of people like Marie Curie um, mm-hmm. working with this day in and day out, um, it becomes very clear to them the the damage that they've caused to themselves. So actually, Marie Curie um, documents in excruciating detail her own radiation poisoning. 
um, oh. over the last years of her life. Um, so she kind of involuntarily becomes one of the, the test people for this um, to the point at which her, um, her notebooks are actually still intensely radioactive. Um, and her wow. famously, her coffin is lead lined. Um, wow! To, it was just probably not necessary, but is a great a great bit of showmanship. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so, listeners, so really intense um, X rays will damage your flesh. Um, they actually give you burns. Um, the, but the reason they put the lead lining like over your hips um, is generally because um, what's called uh, X-rays are what are called ionizing radiation. Um, they'll they'll break up complex molecules and cause mutations in long chains like DNA. Um, so um, human beings tend to have um, uh, sperm and eggs, uh, in which their genetic material is stored and passed on to the next generation. Um, so if you expose, uh, those cells to lots of radiation, you'll cause lots of mutations. Um, and this is realized early on because people do things like it could be because they think radiation is super healthy. Um, they do things like expose <laughs> seeds to radiation, um, uh -huh, with the idea right. being that you would then cause, uh, develop these super seeds, um, uh, and they discovered that they can cause, they can induce all kinds of crazy mutations um, to plant right. seeds, uh, some of which are good, some of which are bad, and discovered most of them are bad. <laughs> um, and then uh -huh. again, in the twenties, you've got people like um, uh, Morgan here in the U here in New York City um, doing experiments on Drosophilia, um, trying to induce particular kinds of mutations. Um, so people quickly realize, well, if we can induce lots of mutations, uh, lots of bad mutations in seeds and fruit flies maybe we shouldn't do that in ourselves. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so if you work around radiation, um, the, the, what they're trying to protect you from generally is sort of genetic, what we call um, germline damage um, to prevent mm. your, your damaged cells from being passed on to your offspring. Um, mm. And I should say my, my personal experience with this is I kind of uh, joke is the reason I had um, identical twins is because <laughs> back in college, I, I once sat on some radioactive waste by accident. Um, so as if, you do, if they, as you do, I, um, I just wandered into a particular room and sat down on a barrel waiting for somebody and someone casually mentions, Matt, you know that barrel is full of radioactive waste, right? And I said, no, I did not know it was full of radioactive waste. <laughs> wow. And it didn't have like a big It did not have it. a big, I should say, um, I probably shouldn't say this on, on publicly recorded <laughs> media. Um, my lab was not so great on radiation safety. I that said, a lot of labs were not great on radiation safety. I've heard stories of like people getting on planes with like radioactive samples in like lead line canisters, but just regular passenger planes because they had a collaborator uh, who was the only one who could radio label that thing. And so they'd go to a different country, get it radio labeled and come wow. back mm -hmm. with like, they don't do that anymore, guys. Mm -hmm. but, no, uh, you, you can't even bring three ounces, you know, more than three ounces of shampoo on. Yeah. Yeah. I think science in like the 60s and 70s was just the Wild West. Yeah. Like, I don't think anybody thought anything through and nobody told each other no. And so they just did <laughs> kind yeah. of crazy yeah. things. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, and a lot of it's just our, our into, you know, radiation is invisible. Um, so our intuitions about what makes something dangerous or worrisome 
don't apply in the normal sort of way. So we need to come up with sort of elaborate rules to enforce safety. Um, and if no Actually, one is enforcing you, those rules, we just don't do it. Yeah. I was going to say, especially invisible and delayed response. Yeah, that's right. If you mm, messed that's up, you thing. cannot tell immediately if mm -hmm. you messed up and you might not tell for years. Uh, if you yeah. Messed up. Uh, yeah, that's right. So it might be kind of if, you know, if we, so if we could see x-rays, we would have intuition about those sorts of things. Um, and we would be able to recognize things like uranium as an interesting and possibly hazardous substance long before we did. Because, um, like, you know, we've, we've had uranium, we've interacted with uranium for hundreds of years. Um, and in fact, we used it to make um, kitchenware, um, glasses and oh. plates. Um, it makes a nice uh, glaze for ceramics. So uh, most people interact with uranium by eating food off of it for a very long period of time um, because we had no, <laughs> because we needed to build special machines to detect what made uranium special. Um, but if you could see it right off, then maybe we could kind of realize like, oh, you know, whoever eats off that glowing stuff um, right, gets sick. Right. Maybe we should that's stop it's, That's interesting that. you explain that. I see it's just because of the glaze. I was recently, uh, um, my stepfather who's listening and who has been a guest on our program, mm -hmm. but who is a physicist and is probably you know, right now muttering uh, all kinds of corrections about things <laughs> yeah, he's hearing. True. But um, uh, we went to the museum uh, where they live in uh, Cincinnati, and Cincinnati was known as a, a great center for um, ceramics, apparently. And uh, anyway, in, in the art museum there, they have some of these magnificent um, ceramics that were made there with beautiful glaze, these colors, all different colors. And it wasn't glowing or anything, but it said that these, these, this pottery is no longer made because it contains harmful substances like uranium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Thought, so glow that's the right. uranium no. only glows when you whack it with high energy particles like X-rays. Ah, okay. um, uh, it's only really weird stuff like radium that glows on its own. Um, right. Yeah, so if you, um, there's actually a wonderful collection of... Um, uranium glass flutes um, in huh. in Washington, D.C. at the National Archives um, huh. uh, that they will display under x-ray lights so you can see them glow. Um, Whoa. Which is pretty cool. Let's go for this. And if you're, and a, a, a weird hobby, if you're into it, is actually finding old um, bits of kitchenware that have uranium glaze on them. Um because you can't you can't tell just by looking. So unless you know what to look for, um, you're just wandering through the um, uh, the garage sale and happen to buy something covered in uranium. So would that be, or would that not be, microwave safe? <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, that's a good question, actually, because microwaves are pretty low energy. I don't think you would get a very good glow off okay. of uranium. So it's probably fine, other than the fact that you're eating uranium. Yeah, <laughs> other than the fact that you're eating. So uh, go ahead, Gabby. No, I was just going to say, I was wondering, like, so if we can see x-rays, right, and that's yeah. the only light yeah. source that we're seeing, yeah. would we actually be able to tell that they're more dangerous, or might we just be more alert to them? Oh, that well, all that's of a, a sudden good question. you find a rock that glows like the sun and mm -hmm. only the sun really does. Right. Maybe you just kind of slap it everywhere until then your face. Until it's cool. Yeah, that's well, that's a good point. <laughs> so I think we would probably the way to think about it is we would understand there was something different about those rocks 
um, from other rocks. Um, so maybe that might give us an opportunity to spot the pattern earlier on than we would otherwise. So that might be handy. Yeah. And I think that could, that could be nifty. Yeah. It's interesting. It's kind of, it's a bizarre thing to imagine that the only thing you can see is incredibly dangerous to you. Like (laughs) a a flip side of this, if in fact, another, if we could do, which would be interesting is what if visible light was dangerous? Mm -hmm. You know, like how strange that would be. Um, yeah, that would sorry, that would be a strange way to navigate the, the world, is essentially only seeing the things that are dangerous and the things that can protect you from that danger. Um, I don't know, would that make people really paranoid? Maybe. You could go for that. Um, yeah, it definitely does change your worldview, I think. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, maybe to give, like, some brief talk about, like, why that's so dangerous, like, to our eyes especially, Um your eyes are kind of a pretty delicate instrument and Mm. even exposure just to UV is enough to potentially damage them. So there's a Mm -hmm. condition called photokeratitis, which you essentially get from, it's like snow blindness where (laughs) that much light, that much UV reflected back into your eyes uh, can damage the, the epithelial cells in your cornea. So then it can, it can be extremely painful um, and also damage your vision and so, essentially, our eyes aren't really meant to take in wavelengths like that. Uh, UV is actually less intense than X-rays, and X- so X-rays are more intense yeah, right. mm-hmm. than what our eyes are normally used to dealing with. Mm. And get it well, way more intense than what our eyes are normally used to getting dam- dealing with. Way more intense than what already damages them. Um, so. I feel like we'd probably actually have, I feel like there's no way the human eye as it currently is would be able to have x-ray vision. Hmm. We So we would probably have had to have developed some other sort of eye structure mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. wet liquid mass is very squishy. Yeah, it's really not and good for this kind of purpose. Yeah, it's not going to go great for that. I mean, basically, <laughs> to, to kind of go into like the UV stuff, it's, we have a lens and it focuses light. And so imagine you're staring into a very, very, very powerful light source. It's going to do like ant under a magnifying glass mm-hmm. Ooh. But to your eyeball, uh, which is why yeah. doing that with x-rays is really not great. Yeah, that's right. And it's very hard to focus x-rays as well because their wavelength is very short. Um, so you actually, it's, you essentially can't build an x-ray lens. Um, so actually our, um, so either you don't focus them at all, and it's just you kind of get a blob of light or a shadow. Um, and it's hard to, I don't know, see things really precisely that way. So the, the world would be pretty fuzzy. Um, or you um, use a phenomena that Gabby referred to earlier, which is X-ray diffraction, um, is that uh, X-rays um, create these strange patterns as they pass through very small things. Um, and you can use those patterns to divine nifty things like the structure of DNA. Um, but it's really hard to build an X-ray telescope or x-ray lenses generally um so it would be it would be hard maybe we'd need really intense really good regenerative abilities just constantly regrowing our x-ray retinas and sloughing off the old ones i don't know if there's any are there any critters that do that kind of thing just kind of regrow their sensory apparatus on a regular basis 
Um, uh, I think only in the way of like, I think starfish technically taste through their arms. Ah, uh, okay. Ooh, and mm-hmm. you can't, they can lose their arms and then regrow them. So mm. in that way, I would think. But a bit of me wonders, so there's plenty of animals that create inorganic compounds as part of their whole organic life. So for example, there's a snail. Uh, Let me look up the name because I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on it, but it essentially creates armor. Uh, huh. It, it pulls out, I don't know. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, so it's a deep sea snail that builds a shell out of iron sulfide. And cool. so it's essentially able to, it's called a sea pangolin, which is kind of funny <laughs> that it's named after an, another creature. That is kind uh, of funny, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that they saw this thing and didn't, it, it highly re- recommend Googling this thing, by the way. It looks badass um and so (laughs) it makes me wonder if maybe the solution to our x-ray problem is forming some kind of if crystals are what we use for diffraction Mm -hmm. at least in science could a could an organism develop some kind of crystal that you know they get from consuming certain minerals in their environment and then precipitating in their eyes that then actually mediates the diffraction that they use to see that would be very yeah. cool, actually. It's um, because uh, that sort of suggests we would be crystalline creatures instead of mainly oh, uh, yeah. water creatures, right? Um, uh, yeah, so a whole planet of um, crystal bipeds roaming around, um, and as they're looking up in the sky, what you would see is the sun would be kind of you know barely visible. The moon would probably not be visible except when it eclipses the sun. Um, but wow. what you would instantly see is um, black holes everywhere um, because those are oh. the big X-ray sources in the sky. Um, so the sky would look pretty cool. Right? You'd see the center of the galaxy ablaze and distant galaxies um, all shooting off X-rays. Uh, so astronomy would be pretty weird. You'd be interested in different kinds of things. Yeah, although I was wondering about that. Lastly, circling back to our original article about uh, the uh, Japanese launching this um, mm-hmm. X-ray telescope, uh, the reason they have to launch, if I understand it correctly, the reason they have to launch it into space is because our atmosphere blocks X-rays, Yeah. right? Um, so does that mean we actually wouldn't see the x-rays from the sun until well, we got above the that's atmosphere. That's right. We'd have to um, assume the atmosphere was transparent to x-rays. Um, right. Uh, because if you, if you live inside a substance that is opaque to the only thing you can see, um, that's a bad way of getting around, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could literally only see six inches in front of your face or something. Um, that would be a real bummer. Um, right. Well, that's what we, we'd be totally dependent on our little uh, uranium uh, flashlights. Our little uranium flashlights, yes, that would be <laughs> yeah. a bummer. Yeah, um, our uranium, we gather around the uranium campfire. <laughs> Just the good old <laughs> days. Scene. The good old days, like, a, yeah. Um, but as soon as, if, if we somehow, if somehow these crystalline bipeds managed to develop a space program, as soon as they went into space the first time, it would be like, whoa, right? Then they would suddenly see all this kind of stuff. Um, and they wouldn't have, may not, may or may not have realized how much shielding they needed to have on their ship. Uh, there would be. Before yeah. they, they went into space. So pretty wild. Um, well, thank you both for this. This has been a trippy thing. And uh, lastly, Matt, we just have to just put a, put a nail in the coffin of the uh, X-ray specs that oh, used to yeah. be sold and may or may not still be sold. 
they are not uh, X-ray. I am afraid not. Um, it is yeah. the, the the ads were lying to you. Um, and yeah. uh, no, they're they're a novelty item, as the technical term goes. It looks like you yeah. can buy them on Amazon these days, called X-ray Gogs, and they're like ten bucks now, which seems ridiculous. Whoa, that that's not worth it. Not worth it. Yeah, so, Inflation, man. Exactly. Yeah, it's disappointing. So just make your own. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm sure there's an app for that. There's many apps. That <laughs> is true. Augmented or unaugmented reality, demoted reality. I don't know what you would call it. Um, Thank you both. Thank you both for this uh, radioactive episode. Um, uh, if you are not a, a Patreon supporter, by the way, as many of you are, those of you who are not, find out more what bonuses you can get. Uh, we still don't, we should have x-ray, <laughs> x-ray specs. We should be selling x-ray gogs. Not sell, we, those should be offered as, as, as merchandise when you become a Patreon member, but so mm-hmm. far they're not. But there's all kinds yeah. of other things. Yeah. Patreon.com slash what the if, uh, including a bonus episodes, extended uh, episodes, extended discussions uh, about the subject of the show and other things, all kinds of topics we take on far and wide uh, only for Patreon uh, members. So find out, uh, become one, and you'll be able to hear that stuff too. Patreon.com slash what the if. Um, Gabby, do you have anything you'd like to plug? I would like to plug your story that I read this week. Uh, Sword Between the Stars. Yep. Is that correct? Uh, in the book Luminescent Machinations, which is uh, the link is right there in the show notes. Um, but uh, would you want to give a plug for that or anything else coming up this week? Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing that's come out for me lately. Nothing else fun. I'm, like I said, still waiting on a contract for something. So until I have that, I can't really talk about it. Uh, um, but it I will mean. be very fun once I can. Uh, yeah. But that is, yeah. Nothing else on my front. This story is killer, by the way. You got to read it. Oh, Don't thank you. Huh? Yeah, not only because there's technically a killer robot, and there's killers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> killer. It's killer. Uh, Matt, how about you? Anything you'd like to plug this week? Um, no. Um, if my students are um, listening, uh, be sure to read both Newton and Duchatelet's commentary on Newton. For Monday morning, uh, please. <laughs> indeed, indeed, um, and we'll look forward to hearing uh, how you did. Um, <laughs> Gabby, would you help us in our closing ceremonies? Why do we have these? Yeah, well, because we have irreparably altered the universe, we have to find some way of setting it right. So, as we stand on this new reality with crystalline eyes, yeah. And Harmful, burning radium, uranium <laughs> flashlights. <laughs> Can't help but shout the name of the show. What? what? The Thank you all for listening. Enjoy your radioactive silverware and pottery and all the other things you may or may not find in your home. Dine safely. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>